Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by Cattle Bear and Cigars. Cattle Bear and Cigars has a rich, natural, aromatic, classic tobacco flavor. Made with the finest tobacco, perfectly blended for the most pleasant, satisfying, long ash you can buy anywhere. Cattle Bear and Cigars has consistently scored an excellent in the 90s on their reviews. For more in-depth information on Cattle Bear and Cigars, Listen to our Brian Mussard podcast episode and visit CattleBaronCigars.com. Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Welcome back to another episode of Brands and Barbed Wire. On today's episode, we hear from an innovative ranch who wakes up every day challenging the status quo. We learn about their involvement in all segments of the beef industry and how they embrace technology on their operation. It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Derek Thompson with NextGen Cattle. Derek, welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. Thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we've crossed paths a few times uh, in different circles and and uh, just looking forward to, to hearing your story. I think I've heard it before, but I think our listeners will really enjoy it. So, uh, so te- tell us a little bit about Derek and your family and, and uh, you know, a little background on on you when we get started here. Yeah, well, this is the easy part, talking about family. So uh, my wife and I are, are blessed to have three incredible children. Uh, i got a daughter that's getting ready to graduate from grad school in speech pathology. So we're excited about that in May. She just got married last, last June. So uh, you never know. We'll hopefully be grandparents here before we know it. But uh, And then I got two boys at home. 12 and 13 and we spend our our weeks at, at practice and weekends at games and we're just that period of time in our life that we're we're on the go nonstop. but uh we absolutely love it and we had the chance with our daughter that we know how fast it goes by and uh, with our with our young boys we're we're trying to cherish every moment uh during the time that we're in right now so yeah that's awesome so uh I've got a good editor, so if your daughter listens to this, we can take the ums and stuff like that out, and, and so <laughs> she won't analyze your 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 speech in it. <laughs> yeah, that she would be all over me for that for sure. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and and maybe growing up and and how you came to be interested in the cattle business and some of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Grew up in a small town in Northeast Kansas, uh, Silver Lake. My mom went to high school there and, you know, Silver Lake's a bedroom community to Topeka, the capital of Kansas. It's a small town, 20 minutes outside of Topeka and it's a huge sports town. Uh, so I grew up playing a lot of sports and uh, it's just a tremendous place to raise a family. And that's why we chose to stay there. I actually uh, went to Washburn University Division II school there in Topeka and played golf uh, in college. And, you know, I, my family was always around always around ag. You know, my dad farmed a little bit on the side. You know, he had a day job. Uh, it was actually in the dental industry. But uh, my family had showed a lot of cattle through the years. And I just always, I always loved being around cattle, uh, but never really had a chance to do it at a, at a large scale. And then, you know, went through college and actually 
after after college went into the financial services industry. So kind of like a lot of folks in the cattle business, you had to go out and make some money before you went too deep into it. But, uh, you know, I had a chance at a young age, I went to work for a firm uh, out of college and uh, about five years in uh, myself and two other gentlemen uh, who were working with me at the time, we had leadership roles at that time. So 27 years old, we broke away and started our own business doing that, doing the same thing at a high level. We were a, a brokerage firm, if you will, for independent financial advisors. And, you know, we were, were very blessed and, and worked really hard. And, you know, if you fast forward to today, actually three years ago, I had a chance to sell my shares back to them and uh, get out of the business and get into what I really love, which is the ag and outdoors. But, uh, you know, that business is thriving today. There's around a thousand employees in Topeka, wow. Kansas. And, you know, it just, uh, we, we were very blessed and it kind of exploded uh, on us over, over a period of time. And uh, it's a really cool story. It's a really cool story for just uh, there a lot of the small communities around Topeka. We employ a lot of people. And, uh, but I, it, it gave me the chance to get away. Uh, I was on the road all the time, uh, missed my, you know, talking about my daughter, I missed a lot of, a lot of her stuff, uh, when she was through high school and, and junior high and, you know, with my boys coming along, I, and, and I tell my daughter all the time, I apologize. I can't get back some of those, uh, times, but with the boys, I didn't want to, you know, do that again. And, you know, I was able to get back control of my schedule, uh, obviously be a, be a better, be a better dad, father and everything, just being off the road. You know, I was on the road 30, 32, 33 weeks out of the year. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. So we had a chance that my partners are great, got a great relationship with them still. And, you know, they wanted to continue to do it. And, you know, so I kind of semi-retired, uh, you know, call it four years ago now. And, you know, that's when we, you know, we'd actually started next gen a couple of years prior to that. And I'll, that kind of leads into the next gen story, but, uh, so back in 2015, you know, I owned some land in the Flint Hills and, and we'd ran a lot of yearlings. That was kind of our chance to cowboy on the weekends for 90 days in the summer is to run yearlings, uh, and then take them onto the feed yard. And we had fed cattle and actually I'd been an, a minority owner in a, in a feed yard, uh, down by Emporia, Kansas. So this was all, you know, well before I hung it up at my previous company. And I really enjoyed the cattle feeding side. Um, I, I love running cattle on grass and, and, and really seeing that through. And, um, you know, we, that kind of spurred on, you know, once I hang it up for my, for my day job, you know, how can I get more involved in this sector? And so really next gen was formed in 2015, uh, with the vision of expanding our feed yard operations. So I was able to acquire that yard uh, completely. And then, you know, a year after that, you know, we were running some commercial cows on the ranch here. And really, we were just going to run some commercial cows and, and really grow the feed yard side of things. And we had the chance in uh, 2017 uh, to acquire a yard in southwest Kansas. We really liked, obviously, getting a bigger finishing yard down in southwest Kansas. You know, it was a 17, 15, 17,000 head yard at the time. And over that next two to three years, we expanded it. And now we're at 50,000 head one-time capacity down there. Uh, it's a beautiful yard. we got a great team down there that runs that day-to-day. Uh, -day. And then when you encompass that with our yard, grow yard by Emporia, you know, it's 12. We can put 12 to 13,000 head in there, and we start a lot of cattle there. So at any one given time, you know, we have a, 
60,000 head, you know, kind of one-time, you know, capacity feed yard operation. And, and that really, you know, how that kind of led us into the seed stock side of things is we felt like, you know, there was an opportunity to get better quality genetics uh, into our feed yard system. And, you know, so we, we actually started more on the feed yard side and that kind of led us into the seed stock. And we felt like, um, you know, we're buying cattle from all over the country, know some of the genetics, some of them you don't know much about. Um, we felt like if we could start selling bulls and, and truly building a buyback program of our genetics, we could start to put together a consistent supply of calves of known genetics uh, and really start integrating ourselves on the genetic side. It's something that's always fascinated me uh, was a genetic side. And even to today, I love breeding cattle on the purebred side to try to make the next great one. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we saw an opportunity to bring value back to that commercial cow-calf producer. Uh, with real data uh, from a feed yard, you know, how are the cattle feeding, how are they hanging up at the packer and, and sharing that individual carcass data back uh, to the ranch level. And that's what really led us into our first bull sale in 2019. And, you know, here we are today, we have two sales a year and, you know, that's a big piece of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So, uh, it's fascinating. You started out in sort of that that stocker feedlot deal, and and I assume you're feeding cattle, like you said, and and own part of a feed yard. I mean, tell us a little bit about the ups and downs of that. I mean, you know, some of our listeners might not, uh, you know, they're in, probably in the cow calf or purebred business, and and uh, might like a little more glimpse into that feeding cattle feeding side of the business. We've got a few guys on, but. Um, but what what sort of were the ups and downs, and what interested interested you about that, and and um, and then how that uh, sort of morphed into you know buying the other feed yard and, and and stuff. So you know, dive maybe a little deeper into those, Derek. Yeah, well, there's a uh, man. We could have one heck of a good time on a podcast talking about all the wild, uh, good and bad stories of feeding cattle. <laughs> right. But uh, I would tell you, you know, a little bit into me. I'm an extremely competitive uh, person, and I like. I, I'm a risk taker. You know, I am. So early on, I've got some tremendous stories of, of uh, you know, making three, four hundred bucks a head, and then turn around losing three to four hundred bucks a head. But our model today is a lot more uh, strict and, and, and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to feeding cattle, I would I would say genetics matter. They, they absolutely matter. Um, and how the cattle are raised at the ranch uh, while they're on side of the cow uh, do, do matter. Um, you've, you've got to learn you know, a Florida calf eats different than a, than a one in the Midwest. And, and, you know, there's just, there's so many factors that go into it. It's ultimately on the buy side, you know, up front and, you know, freight. I mean, freight's a big deal, big deal today, you know, it's five, five fifty a mile. Um, so logistics and, you know, just cause a calf seems to be, uh, priced reasonable, uh, today is what's the freight and, you know, how were they raised and how are they handled? And there's just so much that goes into the cattle feeding side. And we're, as a yard, you know, we own a lot of cattle at any one given time. We're hundred percent hedged at all times. You, when you get the volume of, of animals on feed, you know, we want to be in this thing for the long, for the long haul. Uh, I've seen people uh, get wiped out over a 12 month period of time. I mean, nobody would have predicted, predicted COVID. Uh, in fact, cattle to go to under a dollar. You know, for the folks that weren't hedged that had a lot of cattle on feed, you know, that's a that's a tough, tough uh, time. So we're very strict. We got a full time chief, chief risk officer, uh, David Holloway, and our team who 
is one of the brightest minds we have in our group. And we have some really talented people, uh, part of the next gen family, but he does all of the risk management for our feed yards and, you know, also the, the plant and things like that. But um, I would say it's, it's all about hitting singles and doubles and, and not trying to hit a triple and a home run uh, and be very, very strict on your protocols on the buy side uh, and genetics do matter. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, as as my experience, we we started out, you know, when I was at Virginia Cattlemen's, just retaining ownership and some calves and different things like that. And it's a it's an education. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And and uh, one that I probably didn't uh, desire to dive much deeper than I was already in. So I admire you for wanting to do that. So um, when you decided to get in the purebred side of the business, I mean, what what decisions did you make there? How did you pick sort of the breeds you started with and sort of take us through that when, when you move from, you know, feeding to really wanting to, to help out with the genetics on the genetic side of the business? Sure. Well, being in Kansas, um, we're surrounded by uh, an Angus-based cow herd. And, uh, you know, we love Angus cattle. Uh, we love crossing Angus cattle. Uh, and we see the value there. So we chose uh, the Charlet breed. We, we feel like there's not a better terminal cross out there than a, than a Charlet. Uh, brings a ton of value on the feeding side. You know, that's, that's a pretty easy one, especially when calves are worth two, two to two thirty a pound, you know, and you're, and you're selling your calves off the cow or maybe, you know, 60 days weaned. I mean, a Charlet is bringing a ton of value to producers today. Uh, so that's a pretty simple one. And then, you know, we did get some weird looks from people being in Kansas uh, when we got into the beef master breed. And, uh, you know, we've, we've fed a lot of eared cattle over the years and we see a ton of value in feeding uh, eared cattle in the feed yard. Uh, and then, you know, we, we also believe in the value of a mama cow and we feel like the beef master breed, uh, brings a tremendous amount of value on the maternal side. And, uh, you know, I could show you some just tremendous females, uh, beef master on Angus based cow herds, uh, can add, you know, longevity, uh, people around the Midwest here fight things like anaplas. Uh, pink eye, you know, things like that, that if you throw a little bit of ear in your cow herd, you can clean up without, you know, uh, an antibiotic. And, you know, we do a lot of natural cattle as well. And, you know, that's when you're dealing with natural cattle, you know, crossbreeding is just a, it's a, it's a must in my opinion, uh, because there's so many other factors going on to, you know, in, in dealing with naturals. But so we, those were the two main reasons we chose those two breeds is we feel like they complement Angus based cow herds the most. And we do a lot of business in the South. Uh, Florida is one of our top States and, you know, the Southeast and Texas and through the Southern parts of the country where, you know, they need, they need aired cattle. Um, and we feel like we chose a breed that, that really complements you know, what we're trying to do. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, if you look at the, at the cow herd across the United States, there's really only three, four major breeds that that you can get true heterosis from anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, your Shars, your 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 Herefords, your Brahmin influence cattle, and and beef masters would be in that in that deal because everything else is is pretty much Angus. I mean, it's you know seventy five, eighty percent of the of the commercial cow herd is is Angus based, and so um, I think it's important for people that that still believe in heterosis and still believe in breed complementarity to look at some of these other breeds that can help them out. 
So I think it's I think it's a wise decision. No, I agree, Jim. And we we looked at I mean it's back to our name next gen. Um, you know, we didn't talk about that, but it really came when we sat down and uh, we came up with a name, not that it's unique, but the next generation is going to have to do things differently. We're, we're dealing with less land, less water, less resources. I mean, inputs are through the roof, you know, adding specifically adding longevity into your herd. You know, the days of turning your cow herd over every five to six years doesn't work. I, I don't know of another way to, to add longevity into your herd other than utilizing heterosis and crossbreeding. So, you know, back to that's something that we were just big believers in and we preach it. We preach it daily. Uh, to, to commercial guys. Yeah. I know the, the data says, I think uh, you increase longevity uh, in a crossbred cow by 39%. And that's huge. That's huge. Absolutely. And so, yeah, no, that's good. From there, you know, next gen and, and you've, you've got beef master and, and Charlotte bulls and, and starting to roll into the bull sales. I mean, tell us about, you mentioned, you know, we're going to, have to do things differently for that next generation. I mean, tell us maybe some things that you're doing differently that that, uh, you know, would be outside of what maybe our grandfathers or whatever used to do. I mean, tell us kind of what that uh, how you're breaking that that mold. Yeah, and it, it really, you know, it's hard to not get on a to, to get on a rant as far as our industry as a whole, but in, in my opinion, it's a, it's a bold one, but I, I, our industry, in my opinion, is broke a little bit, you know, and this is a perfect time. You know, the, the last four to five years has been just a grind and very difficult on cow calf producers. And, you know, the pendulum swung, you know, heavily in the last, you know, several months uh, back to uh, their side. And, and now the Packers are going to experience a period of time. Uh, where, where it's going to be challenging for the next three to four years. And, you know, what what we would like to, to try to have an impact on is how can we make it to where at every piece along the, the, along the supply chain, everybody can make a little bit of money. Uh, and I think the only way to do that is to have control over the whole process. And that's really what, we, what we're trying to do is bring value all along the way and put together a supply chain of, of good, high-quality genetics uh, that everybody can win at. And, and we haven't arrived there yet. We're, we're, we feel like we're very uh, deep into that, but you've really got to have control on the Packer side as well. Um, and, and I think if you ask Packers, uh, they want that. They want that as well. Uh, I, I would tell you, uh, because I've had insight into the packing plant space, there's a tremendous amount of lack of education at the producer level. And I'm sure there's some folks that might listen to this that would throw rocks at me, but you know, the, 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 the Packers would love to level out and, and hit singles and doubles every year as well. Um, it doesn't really benefit anybody having these big swings. Uh, so I think the only way to do that is to, to involve everybody uh, in that process. And what I mean is if you raise high quality genetics along the way is maybe it's on the back end, you know, you're getting compensated for that of being a part of a, a supply chain versus the traditional avenue of marketing your calf crop today. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I think you're right. I mean, it's, um, I know I've listened to some other folks uh, talk about some models of, of owning those cattle all the way through and then even going as far as, as leasing um, the packing industry to kill cattle for them for, for, for a retail trade and, and some of those options. So I think it seems like that, you know, there's some people exploring some of those, but, uh, but I think you're right. I mean, gosh, I mean, nobody wants to, feast or famine in this in this industry because 
you know, everybody wants to feast, but gosh, we can just avoid the famines. It, 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 you know, it would save a lot more headache, heartache, families going out of business and everything else. And so, because we don't, we don't, the other thing we don't do very well is plan for them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, when we get, when we, the cow-calf industry that is, is we're coming into uh, potentially could be good. And what do we do? Go out and buy all kinds of new stuff. And then we don't have any money left when it goes back yeah. again. And so, yeah. uh, you know, that's the challenge. And so anyway, I, I applaud you for trying to do that. So what, I mean, give me a little insight behind, all right, we need to build a packing plant. I mean, that seems like one of those things that, um, you know, I can see going from feed yard to, to purebred cattle and cow calf, but then, you know, making that decision to, to build a packing plant. How did that, how did that happen? And tell us some of that, some of that experience. Yeah. So, um, the years all run together, but back in 2019, 2020, we met a gentleman who was buying bulls from us from Oregon, uh, Stacy Davies. He was a part of, uh, the country natural beef group that, uh, is really an incredible story. They decided back in the late eighties, early nineties, that they weren't getting enough for their calf crops. And, and they formed a group, uh, back then, uh, to do what we were just talking about is go together and, uh, create a story of how their animals are being raised. And they were one of the original uh, groups to join forces with Whole Foods up in the Northwest. And, you know, I think, and don't quote me, don't hold me to the exact numbers, but, you know, fast forward today, there's 80, 90,000 head in that program. And, you know, they're still, I believe, supplying uh, beef to Whole Foods. But Stacy uh, saw that opportunity to kind of grow that to the eastern, uh, east of the Rockies. And, you know, he loved our genetics and um, he loved the fact that we were, we had a, a true buyback program. You, we own the feed yards. Uh, he loved what we were putting together. And so we talked about, you know, starting up a beef company and we formed a Flint Hills beef brand was our all natural program. And, you know, we were sending uh, meat to whole foods uh, from our producers and we were actually tolling is what the industry calls it at a, at a couple other packers. And, you know, here we go and COVID hits. And uh, we were we were kind of in the business and out of it overnight, and we were still able to keep about a hundred head a week at, at one small packer. But at that point, packers were just printing money, and they kind of kicked all their toll customers to the side and were just running their own programs. Then we knew if it was something we wanted to be involved in long term, that we need to get in control of our hook space. And uh, there was a, a pork facility down in in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, that it went out of business and, and was owned by the state of Missouri and it was in, in bankruptcy. And, you know, was, I'll never forget because the time we went and looked at it, it was when COVID was just, just hitting. It was the first time I ever wore a mask was when I toured the facility. Uh, but I think everybody was kind of asleep at the wheel because we felt like it was a hidden gem down there. And, you know, we ended up getting that, that property bought. And uh, that was in May of 20 or March of 2020. Uh, we closed on it in May of May of 2020, and we started converting it to a beef facility. And actually, originally, it was a beef facility that got, got converted to pork. It was a, it was a brand new. I mean, they spent a tremendous amount of money. It was a first class, state of the art facility. And uh, so we had to go in and change rail heights. And really, the fab floor was in pretty good shape. We just had to expand uh, some of the lines. And you know, we were going to, of course, like any construction project, be done in November. And uh, we didn't get quite completed till around February, but we harvested our first animal, um, I think, March 13th of 2021. And, uh, you know, really during that period of time, the minute we closed on the plant, uh, our team at NextGen, so back up a little bit, Stacy's team was on the sales side. 
And, uh, you know, he had all the contacts and the next gen, you know, we felt like we're pretty good at procurement. Uh, so we had the feed yards and, and relationships, but we went out and, you know, started getting down driveways, uh, you know, building the supply chain because we were going to roll out a show me beef brand in the state of Missouri. So lifetime of the animal, Missouri, born, raised and harvested uh, in the state. You know, it was a it was a tremendous project. Uh, kind of fast forward. We, we killed our first animal in March. And, you know, by the end of that first year, we had it up to 250 head a day. It's a business of it's all about throughput, you know, and so we the show me beef program peaked at 500 head a day. And the reason I bring that story up is back to what we were talking about earlier. Consumers truly value a story. So where my beef is coming from, how it's being raised, and then quality. You know, you have to have both. And, uh, you know, we still today get people hitting us all the time, where can I buy Show Me Beef? And, you know, that program was was very successful. Um, leading into the current market that we're in right now, you know, we've gotten away from, from really running uh, we'll we'll start picking up and running some more fed beef here soon, but we've really needed to get our throughput at the plant up. So we started running more cows uh, through the plant. So if you look today, uh, we're running 800 head a day uh, through that facility. It's around 4,000 head a week, and it's a fascinating business. Um, we like the value of it being a swing plant. You know, it's where the market makes sense. We can run some fed beef, and you know, when we when we really truly need the throughput because of really low tight margins. Uh, we, we run run more cows, but it's uh, I tell you the packing plant space is extremely complicated. Uh, it's a it's a I joke with people. It's hard to have a good day uh, because something's always breaking down, or I mean, you just there's just so many moving parts that the stars really got aligned to have a good day at a plant. And you know, during COVID, trying to hire, we have roughly 400 employees down there. You know, trying to hire folks during that period of time. That was a challenge, but we've really hit our stride. You know, traditionally in the packing plant space, there's, you know, 30 to 40% turnover at all times. I think the fact that we're close to Springfield, uh, our turnover the last three months has been, you know, eight to 12%. Uh, we got a great group of people down there. We got tremendous leadership, uh, people that have been in the, in the packing space for years. And uh, it's a, it's a neat story. It's been huge for that area. Um, you know, we took an asset that hadn't, hadn't, hadn't had anything done to it for several years. And now there's, you know, 400 people working there. And so it's a, it's a neat story for that area. But I, I'll tell you from a producer standpoint, you know, someone that's been able to look under the hood and had taken a few years off my life, uh, with, with, with the plant, uh, it's an, it's a complicated business. There's a reason there's the big four and then some other folks that are, that are in it. It takes a tremendous amount of capital. Traditionally, it's a it's a relatively low margin industry. If you look back over history, you know, take away COVID, the anomaly, you know, it's a it's a tough space to be in. And and I've I guess what I've garnered is a lot more respect for for folks that have large packing plants. Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by BRC Brahmins. BRC has created their own legacy by taking their time tested bloodlines, breed leading performance and classic style into uncharted territories of genomic excellence and premium marbling, arriving as the unmistakable leader of destination in the modern American Brahmin. For more information and their upcoming events, visit brcoutrer.com. That's B-R-C-U-T-R-E-R.com. I know there's a bunch of them, and this is a little maybe off the off the 
topic, but I know there's a bunch of these packing plants that are getting ready to start up over the next, uh, you know, this year to next two or three years that, that are working on or got, got some money to build them. I mean, what advice would you give some of those guys as they move into this market that we're moving into plus building a packing plant? I mean, that, that has to be a little daunting. Yeah. My, my biggest concern, uh, and, and listen, I'm, I'm a believer that there needs to be more competition. Uh, but, but my biggest concern is just the supply numbers we're coming into is where are we going to find the cattle for them to have success? Uh, that would be my number one concern. And then for anybody that's considering getting into uh, what I would call a mid-sized plant, you know, 300 head or more a day is whatever you think it's going to require from a capital standpoint, you know, triple it. Uh, because it just, it, it's so easy to go through periods of time where, you know, the market just is, it is what it is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a challenging space. You know, everything's back to what I talked about earlier is if we could ever build it to where everybody wins a little bit, but that's just not how the system's set up. Um, but yeah, that my, my number one concern for the new Packers is certainly, uh, just aware of the number, are the numbers going to be there for them to have, to have success? Cause it's all about throughput. Um, you know, it, it, it literally takes the same amount of people to run, you know, give or take, you know, run 300 head a day as it does to run 500. Once you get up and up and crank and you sat a few people, but you know, the building, all your fixed expenses are what they are, whether you're running 300 or 500 head a day. So you just add a few more people and get your numbers up. So it's all about, it's all about that. But you're already seeing Packers cut back to, you know, 32 hour weeks uh, because supply isn't there. And we're just starting to get into what I would call a shorter supply. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, I know even back here in, in, in my part of the country, there's guys that are feeding cattle with you and, and, uh, and sending their calves out there. And, and I'm pretty sure, and tell me if I'm wrong, I mean, you're, you're providing some, uh, individual carcass data back on some of those cattle. So, so they can see what they're doing and, and make some decisions off of it. Is that, is that what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, what's exciting to us back to the genetic side is at the end of the day, I mean, I would say the bulk of, of commercial producers when they sell their calf, whether it's off the cow at a sale barn or on a superior or private treaty is they never really know how their cattle performed. Uh, I tell people all the time, if the same guy comes back every year and buys your calf crop, it means they're they're doing pretty well, and you should probably ask for for more money. But uh, the thing that we like is that we hand back if your animals are individually identified. Uh, you know, some of the big ranches that you know that's that becomes a little bit tougher. But for folks that can individually identify their animal, we'll give you individual carcass data back on how they performed on the rail, you know, what the yield was, how many yield grade, you know, twos, threes, fours, fives you had. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's going to benefit us, the cattle feeder. And uh, not only that, but it goes into bull selection. You know, if you're a little bit shy on ribeye, if you're a little bit shy on marbling, or, you know, we just need to get more yield out of your cattle, it's definitely going to go into into bull selection. And that's, I mean, that's how we get better as a group. And um, it's a big piece of what we do. Uh, that's interesting. I think that's good. One other thing I think I've heard you guys also have grow safe and work on feed efficiency. Yeah, we do. Uh, so we run... All of our purebred heifers at Next Gym, we run through uh, GrowSafe and, and share that data back to our to our associations. We believe that's the future. Sustainability is a big word that everybody throws out, but uh, we know that it's something that we need to pay attention to as an industry. And you know, with eight dollar corn <laughs> or seven eight dollar corn that works through today, you know, feed efficiency is a big big piece. Which arguably your number one cost in a feed yard. We think it's the future. 
and, and narrowing in on those outliers uh, that have all the other traits. Because a lot of times feed efficiency uh, doesn't line up with some of the more popular traits out there. So when you find those outliers, you know, as, as guys like yourself and, and next gen, we try to reproduce them as quickly as possible. <laughs> right, right. No, that's good. It, it sounds like um, it sounds like you really truly are, you know, looking at all the different things to help measure cattle to make them better. And and whether that's feed efficiency, performance, um, heterosis, uh, longevity, you know, and then providing that carcass data back for for eating experience and stuff like that for the customers. I mean, I think those are all, you know, admirable things that, that you guys are doing that, that we need more of in the industry for sure. And I think there's other people that are doing it. I mean, there's there's obviously are, but um, but I think it's interesting that uh, that you guys have that vision. So tell us, you know, a little bit about what you see coming and, and uh, you know, with with fingers in all the segments of the, of the beef industry, you know, what, what do you kind of feel like is going to happen in the next, uh, you know, four or five years? We've had some of that on here, but what's your crystal ball say? You know, I, I, we talk about it all the time is where the, where this market's headed. Probably the, the thing we talk about the most at next gen is these calves are really expensive and it's really hard. We run break evens every day and we're buying cattle every week. And it's hard to buy a cattle uh, today that, that you can hedge. I mean, they're all losers on paper. And the, the market is extremely bullish uh, on the fat cattle side of things. So what keeps us up at night is honestly the macroeconomic environment that we're in that, that you know, sometimes people in the ag space don't, don't talk about. But let me look at the impact that the Russia-Ukraine war had on corn and cost of gains in the last year and a half. Um, you know, inflation, but international trade, um, unemployment, you know, we got we got interest rates rising, you know, daily. Is at what point does that start impacting demand uh, for U.S. beef? And what's crazy is we have such a short supply ahead of us. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see, you know, the the why the guys are bullish. Uh, but but we're we're a little bit on, you know, the I wouldn't say the bear side, but we're we're, we're keeping a close eye on, you know, the demand side of things. Um and, you know, I, I don't know. I think as producers and cattle feeders, I would just like for people to, to take a pause maybe and, and take a look at that because, you know, it. I mean, I, I hope that we don't break out into World War III, but as the geopolitical climate continues to have a tremendous amount of tension, you know, this uh, this economy is is on stilts right now that 30,000 feet up in the air and it feels like it could crash at any point. I mean, all the all the studies out there are laid out in front of us as to what's going to probably happen on that side. And so how does that impact beef demand? I'm not smart enough to know that, but I tell you, it's what we talk about more than anything uh, right now at next gen. I do think the one thing we have going for us on the cost of gain side, we're, we're pretty bearish new crop corn and, and into next year, I, I think we're going to plant a record corn crop. Uh, so we do think we'll have uh, some potential softening of our inputs, uh, which would be good. Uh, because folks talk, we hear it every day. Just because I sold a, my calves for two bucks, it doesn't mean I made more money than when I sold them for a dollar seventy. So in, inputs got to come down. We see it. I mean, we we see it every day at our ranch. I mean, it just it we blew our budget out of the water. You know, on our just cost of doing business. So I I, I guess if I narrowed it down to the crystal ball, is where is is demand going to stay high? Because it's at an all time high. You know, globally, and it just worsens this economy headaches. I think we could stumble a little bit uh, on, on that side of things. 
back to why you need to say we say 100% hedge at all times. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I, you talk about the costs a little bit and and, and elevated costs, and not making as much money. It it's it is fascinating because you know historically we'd see these guys when they sell their calves. You know, when the calf prices are low, they would um, they would do all the added value things, vaccinations, and everything they could to add value. But when they're high, they tend to not do a lot of those things, right? Yeah. And uh, and same thing, uh, you know, on the replacement heifer side, when when calf prices are high, they they'll they'll really work on improving their genetics, you know. But um, but it's, it's an interesting time because the input costs are so high right now too that we're not quite making what we, you know, what we what we could if they weren't quite quite that high. So yeah, no, it's all really interesting, good insights, uh, things that I hadn't um, probably hadn't thought as much about. I know I asked Bob about you know, this inflation and how that might affect demand. But, uh, but that's a little deeper than what, uh, than what we got into. So good. So tell us, um, tell us what's happening at next gen and, and, uh, you know, people want to learn more about what you're doing and, and, you know, some of the programs you got, how would they do that? Yeah. So we've got our upcoming uh, spring bowl sale, uh, April 20th. We're going to sell some, uh, purebred females on Thursday night. And then April 21st at, 10 a.m. Uh, we'll sell bulls. But uh, I would say, you know, we take the approach. Uh, I love our bull sales every year. The fact that what I love most about it is just the amount of uh, rubbing elbows with peers in the industry. You know, we'll have three to 400 people uh, from all walks of life, all parts of the country uh, come. And we, we, we love the entertainment side of things. This business is too hard uh, not to have some fun. So we'll set up you know, food trucks and, and have live bands. And, and we love having kids and families come. And uh, really, it's more of an event than it is, you know, selling bulls. So I, we would love to welcome anybody uh, to come to that event. And then we're always looking to add good, high quality cattle to our supply chain. At the end of the day, uh, that, that's what we're looking for is, is can we help ranches uh, maybe market their calves in a more efficient way? and add some genetics uh, that someone's willing to stand behind and, and be there to buy your calves and, you know, add value back all the way through the, through the supply chain. Yep. And, um, website and all that you got. Yeah. Next gen cattle.com. So we'll, uh, we post, we video all of our, all of our animals. Uh, we'll put up our, uh, our catalog online and then we'll start sending them out here in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we also do a, a newsletter, a biannual newsletter with some great information. Our team writes some really good, high quality articles, and you can find those newsletters on nextgencattle.com. And we also mail those out as well. And I do follow us on social media. Uh, our chief risk officer, Dave Holloway, does a market update every week uh, with some great information. And uh, we try to at least put out as much as we can for, for the people a part of our program. Yeah, good. I can tell you it's been really uh, a pleasure having you on today and, and learning about NextGen, learning about what all the things you guys have going on and really learning about the technology that you guys are utilizing to uh, to improve your cattle and, and the other aspects of the business. Um, so I really appreciate having you on and, and uh, look forward to seeing you. You need to get uh, your family down to Florida Cattlemen's. I missed you there the last couple of times. Yeah, I was. I missed it last year. I coached my twelve-year-old's uh, ball team, and so I'm going to do a better job of not scheduling a tournament the week. But we'll have a booth <laughs> down at Fort Academy. So yeah, I'll I'll be down there this year. It's on my calendar. Oh, good. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to grab some dinner or something. No, that sounds great. Thank you, Jim, for having me. All right, Derek. Appreciate it, man. You bet. For our producer, Carlos Cheraboga, 
I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbed Wire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbedwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast is sponsored by JMAR Genetics. For semen on our newest herd sires, JMAR Jehovah 8M11 and JMAR Jubal 5P01, please contact Jim Johnson at 434-546-2341 or visit jmargenetics.com.